0: Being a GP these days is a pretty tough gig. You think about all the issues leading up to the pandemic, then coming off the past few years of what GPs needed to deal with during COVID, and now that ongoing discussion around Medicare remuneration and workforce burnout, technology can play a role here, and one company that's been supporting GPs through a lot of these turbulent times is Hot Doc. And with me today on the show, I speak with Dr. Ben Hurst in an audio episode recorded at their offices in Melbourne. In this episode, you'll hear what it was like for Hot Doc during those crazy busy times of powering a lot of the vaccination bookings around Australia. You'll hear what the vibe is on the ground from GPs today and what they need. And also how Hot Doc is thinking about the future needs of anyone providing outpatient healthcare services. A lot more too. Here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, honing key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or ten minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual, or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode, or just go to TalkingHealthTech.com/survey. Ben, how are you
1: going? Good, good. It's
0: been it's been a hot minute since
1: we've had a chat on the show, so yeah. I can't remember the last time we spoke. I think in between
2: when we last spoke, a little thing called COVID happened.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's been that long. It's been been a couple of years since we've had a tra- chat on the show, but it's great to 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 be here in Melbourne to catch up. Now, what's been happening, man? What's been on the ball for the last couple of years? Yeah.
2: Okay. So, I mean, obviously, COVID, like any health tech company, it changed. Game, both a tough but also professionally rewarding time for for our business. We got to play a big role in helping to usher in some of the telehealth stuff, and also we tried to play a role in some of the vaccine management space. So we were able to roll out a solution to all our customers, as well as help to provide for the respiratory clinics. And I haven't got the daily tally, but I think we have over 11 million vaccines booked through Hot wow. So, that was that was an exciting but very tough time. And um, I guess now that we're sort of on the tail of, of that stuff, we're, we're really keen to start focusing on some of the post-COVID challenges that we're seeing, mm. especially around some of the challenges to do with accessing healthcare.
1: Yeah. And just thinking about that vaccine booking, stuff. And I remember when we spoke on the show really early in the piece. I'm pretty sure it was like episode 11 or something that I managed to convince you to come and have a chat with me on this thing. But back then I'm pretty sure we talked about how hot dogs in this interesting situation where you know your health tech solution that consumers actually know who you are um but they they definitely do now i mean that was you know a lot of attention on hot dot from outs from the outside world typically Mm. when you're in a health tech solution there's not too much that's consumer facing yeah and if it is it's not on scale you were dealing with a lot of australians (laughs) yeah we
2: were Uh, and like it's funny sometimes people sort of come up to me and say wow you know you guys must have done amazing during covid and my answer is Not really. It was kind of business as usual in lots of ways. But what we did see was a huge uptick in patient volumes. We were getting, I think, around 1.5 million bookings per month on average in the year preceding COVID. And at our peak, we were getting over 3 million uh, bookings per month. So so that's double the volume. Mm. And the patient app was, you know, we were we were crushing TikTok and Instagram for a while. They we were like number three and number four.
1: <laughs> in uh, I think yeah, yeah.
2: I think DoorDash might have had us for a little while, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was like it was pretty incredible. Yeah. And and I think you know we've become a brand that a lot more patients and Australian consumers are aware of.
1: And then your solutions primarily in the GP market. Yeah. is that right? Yeah. Yep. So and, and that's where, it, as I understand that's the, the core of where it all started. And it's grown out further into other markets as well, into yep. allied and dental too? Or? Yeah, so
2: what we're trying to do is to make it easier for patients to navigate healthcare. And we see that for some patients, especially with chronic disease patients, you might use hot dog for your GP, you might have your specialist referral on the fridge, you might have you know your radiology Behind your desk in some nook that you can't even reach down and get. Like you've seen my house, man. That's (laughs) it. Well, you should see mine. (laughs) It's yeah, (laughs) that's it. Uh, And one of the challenges is not just booking on behalf of yourself if you have a a team, but also booking on behalf of your family. So what we are keen to do is make it easier for Australians to to access healthcare. If they need to see their dentist to, to find a book a dentist if they need a physio to find a book of physio naturally you know we always always encourage to to see your regular health professional but for certain patients who are needing to to find a new health professional for the first time mm-hmm. we're, we're trying our best to make it easier to to access yeah
1: I, i've seen a lot in the gp space specifically about how challenging it is to be a gp in terms of the system doesn't support a, a good financial model to operate a, a business, you're dealing with patients often that, depending on the demographic that you're operating in, there's there's expectations of what you can do versus what they want. It's not an easy kind of gig to be a family GP since you're since you're dealing with a lot of GPs. What are you seeing the current state of the GP landscape right now in some of those? opportunities or challenges that, that they're facing too? Yeah, it's
2: tough. My mom's a GP. I talk to her quite a bit. So I often hear something, of you know, the emotional side of yeah. like being a practicing GP and dealing with some of the, you know, the real challenges uh, and they're coming at you know, all levels. During COVID, GPs were just assumed to be the stopgap. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll make this kind of okay. They'll explain all the changes that are happening to patients, even if they have zero input the government and you know, even if they receive comms the week after. So providing that that knowledge and that information about stuff that they didn't even know about, having to counsel people during such an, an arduous time when mental health is is at an absolute peak. And now, you know, there is a, a horrific rate of burnout. In one of the, the recent surveys that I think was put out by the RICGP, 73% of GPs. Put their hand up to say that they have experienced burnout over that time. Um, 25%, I think, are planning to leave the profession the next five years, with only 14% of graduates planning to mm-hmm. become a GP. So not only did they have a really tough time during COVID, post-COVID, there's a shortage of GP services and patient demand is an all-time high and they're buggered. They haven't yeah. had a proper break,
1: so... And it's not a demographic that typically would say, oh, I'm... I'm Like, if it's GPs are saying they're burnt out, they're pretty burnt out. You know, it's 100%. not, it's not yeah. like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit tired. It's, yeah. like, well beyond that now, right. I think, yeah. And,
2: Absolutely. And it's not just burnout. It's also, like, the profession has been under attack. Once upon a time, being The community doctor was a role that garnered the absolute respect of the people that you know you saw on the street Mm. and now it's kind of like i don't know there's something a bit downtrodden and they often do this like all this incredible work but perhaps patients and other facets of our health industry just just don't appreciate what it is they do and especially the great ones that are prepared to spend that extra half an hour with a patient who does have complex challenges who does need you know more mental health input not only is that not sort of appreciated it's it's financially not compensated for so you just understand like gps they've worked their guts out they're not financially compensated for the hard work that is truly valuable to patient care mm. and they don't get the accolades that they that they should for all the hard work they do.
1: That is it, yeah. And so we're seeing more GPs, they need to respond, they need to do something to to remain viable. More GPs are private billing, uh lesser bulk billing yep. because the that Medicare gap is that they need that gap to be able to keep a sustainable business. Are you saying that's the main way that that GPs are responding? Are there different ways that people are delivering care or other other levers they're pulling to kind of get through this stage?
2: Yeah, so we did a survey at the end of last year that we're about to publish called The Changing Landscape of General Practice. And uh, we surveyed on a bunch of stuff. But one of the focus areas was the changing business model. And of our cohort of 800 respondents, one in six stated that they were bulk billing only if you rolled back the one in six
1: one in six are bulk yeah, billing okay yeah roll back the clock
2: five years yeah. that's like that's more like it's one the other way two. around yeah um so and not only is is it only about 16 17 percent but most gps that consider themselves bulk billing only today have plans to not be bulk billing in the future mm. to at least move to a mixed billing model
0: the talking health tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So, if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of thousand dollars worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com/survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Do you know whether that's like because you know
1: how there's the big corporates that own a bunch of clinics and some of those are known to being bulk billing only or at least as far as i'm aware i imagine some of those bigger bigger fish are looking at those types of models as well right
2: absolutely i think everyone is and once upon a time i think that bulk billing was seen as a really important competitive differentiator in your community Mm. and so when you saw that the clinic down the road was bulk billing only you're like well you know, I can't move to a mixed or- it's a like Coles model. and
1: Woolies, right? Yeah, like if they put up the yeah. bread 10 cents, then that's a big deal. But,
2: yeah, hmm. it is. And, and I by no means think that moving away from bulk billing is a great thing for population health. Mm. But one positive from it is that it means that medical centers are no longer completely beholden to the archaic Medicare system that has been holding them back for a very long time. So they can now- innovate different models of care which allow them to provide a great patient experience but also charge appropriately for it. So yeah. hopefully we can get the balance right and hopefully there are mixed clinics that can do some sort of you know appropriate means testing so that people who can't access care can still get bulk billing services yeah. but also hopefully that they can provide a high quality of care across the board and charge appropriately for that, which yeah. I think does help the industry move forward.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that one too. And there's always like that balance and there's always going to be exceptions and and, and GPs typically will look after their community and they usually strike that balance of like, like we can privately bill these that that have that means and, and these ones will, will do boggling. When you say that that affords them the opportunity to then look at doing things differently or different models of care, is that doing things like having a practice nurse or, or implementing some technology? What are different, what are GP's doing that is allowing them to do health better yep. in the clinics?
2: Yeah, so I think there's there's two sides to this. One is like just running a better business and one is providing good patient care efficiently. And they, they intersect, but they're also slightly different. Uh, so running a more efficient business is also looking at supply demand economics. And there are, Types of appointments, such as ones on Monday morning, after work, on the weekends, where not every doctor is going to put their hand up and say, hey, you know, please let me do that spot. But I can promise you every patient who has some sort of like elective presentation, Mm -hmm. those are the most coveted spots. But what we found um, from the research is that most clinics, even private clinics, they charge the same irrespective of that scheduling time.
1: So there are like a peak and off peak time. That's right, it.
2: Like yeah. it's just, and, and we're not saying, like, I don't believe that it's going to be appropriate to move to some sort of like airline model sure. with dynamic <laughs> pricing. I, I don't think that's right. And it yeah. just doesn't sort of sit right with me. Mm. But I absolutely think that all clinics who do provide services after hours, mm. who do identify the peak, they should charge for that. And that actually does two things. First, it makes their business model more sustainable, but it actually enables them to provide more bulk billing services for patients who can't afford it. Patients who might not need a weekend spot mm. as much as another person, yeah. like there is there is that opportunity. So, So there's just like some basic business stuff that I don't think requires a huge amount of internal change. Yeah. Another example is that even though a year and a half ago, I think, it was okay to charge privately for a telehealth appointment, Mm. we still find that only about 30% of clinics are actually privately charging for telehealth appointments.
1: How many was that?
2: It's about 30%. 30%. Yeah. And when we dig into the data, the reason for that is largely because it's a complicated process to undertake if you're just doing it the standard way of the patient has the appointment and the patient pays after the appointment because... The only way to do that, if you're not using some sort of technology yeah. is the, the poor receptionist has to call the patient <laughs> yeah. and say, hey, um, yeah, so that was a long consultation. Yeah. This is the fee. Can you give me your credit card details over the phone? Mm. And then, you know, they're that's probably messy, yeah. saying, hey, that's four, one, six, three. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're <laughs> patients. Shouting they're- out, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, they don't want to do that. Yeah. And so technology can also be a really positive enabler. Yeah. Again, f- just to simply help clinics to charge for the service that their patients are probably happy to pay for.
1: Yeah. I like that because it's not thinking of completely revamping the workflow or transforming the way that a clinic is run. It's almost like, looking at what you're doing now and doing it better. And, you know, we're going to continue to say this. We, we see a need to see patients on the weekend, but, you know, having a fresh, like every good business should be doing, is looking with hopefully with some fresh eyes or a different perspective and saying, this is what we're doing now. Does that make sense? Looking at it from a different view and maybe just making those small tweaks that can, you know, the, the small hinges that move big doors, that whole analogy. Yeah, the low-hanging typical, fruit, as yeah, we like another to another say analogy, at Hot yeah. Doc. And they're yeah. just,
2: there are technologies that allow you to do this. Yeah. There are, you know, Hot Doc and other services make it, Pretty simple to collect payment details up front, mm. hold them in escrow once it's been signed off, can make sure that the right amount of money goes into the right account yeah. um, after the appointment. People this are is,
0: pretty yeah.
1: used to like more and more used to that these days mm. as well too. I mean, that, that's a pretty typical model outside of healthcare. Are you finding there's other kind of innovative ways to do things? Obviously, telehealth is one thing that a lot of GPs would be looking at and, and doing there's different ways, when we say telehealth, that's pretty broad in itself too, more than just the, the virtual console. What else is there? Is there different ways that stuff's being done?
2: Yeah, so we did a bit of a hot dog vision at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I learned is never do the vision at the end of the year because that's okay. when you're burnt out and it's much better to do it with fresh eyes at the start. Yep. Small little aside. But <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that we... <laughs> so
1: basically like everything's screwed. But that's yeah, it. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> leaves, yeah. it's, just, it's one thing I learned. It's too <laughs> <laughs> hard. Yeah.
2: The other thing that I learned is that async is a really important opportunity to provide a health service much more efficiently and much more conveniently to patients. And it's just underutilized today.
1: And explain async, what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. So, your classic healthcare experience is the patient gets in their car, finds a park, waits in the waiting room, sees the doctor for like, let's say 12 minutes of a 15-minute appointment, and then, you know, pays for it. So you've got in-person. That's been the the mainstay of how we've done healthcare over the last, let's say, forever. And then what we've seen recently with COVID is this more novel approach of telehealth, where the patient and the doctor, they need to be there at the same time, but they don't need to be at the same place. Um, So video and phone, and we call that that sync, but remote sync. And then you've got async, which it not only doesn't require the patient to be there at the same time, They don't also have to doctor and the patient don't have to be there together simultaneously. So it's remote and it can be done at different times. And what that can look like is a patient who has been taking a medication for the last five years. Maybe it's asthma medication and they need to get a repeat script. They don't want to get in the car, find a park, etc. They just simply want the doctor, their regular doctor mostly, to approve it, which most of the time they'll do. And then to be able to either go to the chemist or get the medication delivered directly to their door,
1: Because yeah. so many people would be familiar with that that model and the clinician and the patient will find the most sensible way to do healthcare and, and get things done because that's not an efficient use of their time, let alone my time as a patient. But so to have the structure to do that in a proper way would be really good. But what does that... Mine was a little bit you know behind the scenes. Yeah, what's, the, what's the more appropriate so, way?
2: So again, this is one of the benefits of not basing your business model solely on this archaic Medicare system that is failing healthcare. When you can charge privately, you can start to deliver services that can be both efficient for the doctor and efficient for the patient. That's a Mm win-win. And there are very specific types, Um, any transactional type service, whether it be a repeat prescription, a repeat referral, delivery of clinically insignificant results, a medical certificate, and even potentially basic acute consults that might be something like a urinary infection. Mm. These are things that do not require a 15-minute in-person or telehealth appointment, but the challenge is, is that Medicare provides zero compensation for delivering that type of asynchronous service where a patient puts through a request or they provide some clinical details so that the doctor can then respond to it. Mm. Like So the only way to do it is by having some sort of technology where that information from the patient can be communicated to the doctor securely and the doctor can communicate it securely back and the patient can appropriately put through their transaction for the delivery of that service. That's something that we've had going for about seven years now through repeats, but it was this like very unloved product that perhaps was a bit too early and so we didn't try to push the adoption particularly hard and only about 8% of our customers use it. Mm. But we've noticed over the last year, even actually within a six-month period, that the utilization of that product doubled. Yeah, right. Just like patients were like, they were needing to access repeat scripts, but they couldn't get an appointment. Mm-hmm. And they saw, hey, there's this much friendlier and more efficient way that I can do that.
1: I guess as well, if you're like, now you're opening up this landscape of, well, oh, hey, we private bill, so here are some other things that we can do. Yep. It's it's not a giant leap from bulk billing to, hey, all of a sudden asynchronous healthcare. It's kind of the, this is how, it's, and it's and if it's sufficient, and, and people say that often too, if, if something is genuinely of value, they'll pay for it if they've got the means to do so. So yeah, like, like we've said, it's not literally for everyone, but if someone's in a position to do that and they see the value, it means they can get a repeat script or do things. I can hear the usual kind of commentary then around it though of, well, we've got to watch out for the Cowboys or the overseas, you know, players and those that will extort the system if that kind of thing um, expands out. But I guess doing it in a private billing sense, it, it kind of, it limits it down to those that are using it appropriately. So that's that's probably a good thing.
2: Yeah. I think whenever it's done by a regular doctor, I think it just, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and I like, there is currently, apparently a, a bit of a crackdown by the medical board on some of the players who provide this service where it might not be provided by the the patient's usual doctor. And I, I think it's important to regulate appropriately, but I think when the regulation is considered, what's most important is patient access. Yeah. It is not okay if a patient on a medication that's important for them, whether it's for their depression, their blood pressure, if they cannot access the usual doctor and the usual doctor is unable to provide it for whatever way or the usual clinic, yeah. there needs to be a way other than getting the patient to turn up at the emergency department and waiting for four hours to see someone who can just like write them a script.
1: Yeah. I wish there was a way, there was some kind of accreditation or kind of way to confirm whether a company's being a jerk or not you know like if people were genuinely just delivering healthcare for mm. the betterment of patients and running an efficient clinic a lot of those kind of problems like that, that's where i think a lot of the hesitation and concern comes when there's those that see a, a significant business opportunity for us to scale and leverage the this new opportunity of medicare now pays for this so we should extort that and try to but yeah i wish we could get to a point where if as many Australian GPs do running in their practice, they just genuinely want to look after the patients in their community mm. and that's about it. So
2: it's, it's very tricky. I think that like a lot of the people inside the industry are aware of certain businesses that maybe don't aim to provide the best possible mm. healthcare experience, but it's really hard for consumers who are not in the know yeah. to navigate that. And I think what will happen over the next five years is that patients will be able to publish their experiences and that will become more commonplace, as well as I think that health services will be forced to show more about the outcomes that they're having and that will become a way for consumers to to better make choices about which services they access. It's like, you know, it's been very difficult. Uh, I think, you know, our approach to that has been a bit behind the times. Mm. But I, but I think that that stuff will come to light yeah. more and more.
1: And, you know, I think I've said it a few times too. In the, in the end, patients will be the one, consumers are always the one that decide how things go and then the industry will need to respond. Uh, and as long as we can do that in a safe, effective way. And I think in the end, give patients more choice and, and access. That's what it comes down to and, and and looking after those communities. So then thinking about hot dogs, we're into a fresh year. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to do that, looking at the vision and the opportunities with some fresh eyes as we've come off <laughs> a bit of a break. What's what's going to be the focus? What can we look forward to seeing from Hot Dog this year?
2: So we're really excited by the ability to make the regular clinic of a patient able to provide efficient services through this async stuff that I just talked about. And a big focus for us is just helping that so that clinics can have more sustainable businesses and patients can get much more convenient care for the stuff that just shouldn't take 10 to 15 minutes yeah. we also want to make it much easier for patients to manage this side of their health like it is hard when you've got again specials for over here script here i have mine on you know I'm, i've got an asthma i have a message that i've got to sort of scroll through and find and i, I always find it difficult and then i don't know how many repeats i have yeah. and often because I'm useless and disorganized, I only work out that like I've I've come to the end of my asthma medication and then it's just too difficult to get it for another three days, yeah. and I develop, you know, my early morning cough and I can't get on the bike again.
1: It's got a counter at the back now, though. They charge an extra 20 bucks for that. Really? Right? So, okay. Yeah. I'll probably make it mentally, right? But okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I feel like that would be a good Don't get me you started on that one. <laughs> all
1: of a sudden the price went up three times, put a right. counter on the back. But interesting. Anyway sidetrack.
2: Yeah. So it's like My experience is one that's shared by a lot of patients and they get to that time where like, oh my God, I'm out of medication. And it's really hard to kind of know what to do next. But wouldn't it be great if as a patient, you have an easy way to access your prescription through a wallet and you see when you're starting to run low and you want it to get dispensed again. And you can send out that request directly to your regular doctor who can then hopefully approve it. Or if they can't, hopefully make it really easy to make an in-person appointment and then get the patient the medication that they need. Yeah. So making it really easy on our app to communicate and access these services is something that we're really excited about. And, and the final thing we're really excited about, chronic disease management. We think that perhaps mm. chronic disease management has become a little bit of an admin game where a lot of it is about making sure that you've completed the forms and yeah. you've ask the patients lots of questions, but often the patients are a bit confused by that experience. They don't exactly know what the plan is. Mm-hmm. They're not sure how to communicate that back to the the team of podiatrists and physios, et cetera. Yeah. So we're pretty keen on trying to streamline that process and make chronic disease planning more meaningful, both for the patient and also the provider.
0: Yeah,
1: it sounds like you got a good handle on what patients need. And you're in this unique position that with that consumer facing app a lot of people have had some experience with hot dog over the last couple of years so it's going to be really interesting to watch and wish you all the best with that because it, it sounds like it'll be successful ben it's always great to be able to have a chat on the show thanks for having me here and looking forward to seeing how it all goes and having a chat again soon thanks, thanks so much.
0: appreciate it look forward to it hey thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode if you made it this far you're the perfect person that i want to hear from our tht plus audience survey is now open until the end of june and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks. And I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.